Amen, amen. Hey, as you're finding your seat, I'm just going to ask that you bow your heads with me. Um, we're just going to spend a little bit of time here. I think this could be really important. I think these next few moments could be some very honest moments before the Lord that could directly impact the rest of camp, that could directly impact how you leave here, that could directly impact your community, that could directly impact your homes, that could directly impact your school. So if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. Clear everything out of your laps. Don't be messing with nothing. Just provide some space. Just bow your heads, close your eyes. We're just going to spend some time in prayer, but it's not going to be me just speaking at you or praying to God for you. On our behalf, I, I want you to spend some time in prayer. You see, because the reality of it is, is, is I don't know how you showed up. Paul doesn't know how you showed up. We don't know what you carried into this camp meeting, and we don't know what you're carrying out. But God does. And often, I think, in these environments, we can get into a place where we just kind of depend on the guy with the book and the microphone to tell us what we need to know, what we need to be feeling, what we need to be experiencing. And we don't spend enough time seeking the Father. And so before we start today, I want you to spend some time. Maybe if there's something on your heart that you carried in here that's, that's weighing heavy, maybe it's some stuff going on at home, maybe it's some stress about future decisions, some anxiety about what's next, just take a moment, just ask Lord, would you take this from me? Maybe for some of you, you show up at, at camp and there's some anxiety that stirs up because you know the life you've been living outside of here. And now you just feel like you got to fake it till you make it for the next 10 days. Take some time and just say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I've been doing outside of this space. And Lord, I, I want to give them to you. Will you... Will you meet me here amidst the wreckage of my sin and my brokenness? And will you bring me new life? Will you restore me? God, not just for an experience, but for an eternity. Maybe for some of you, you're distracted right now. Just pray, Lord, would you clear my mind? Would you clear my heart? Would you give me ears and eyes to, to see and hear what maybe you're trying to say and what you're trying to show me? God, we praise you, God, for who you are and for what you've done. God, we praise you that you are love, that you are just, that you are merciful, 
And God, that because of that, you've saved us. That because of that, you've sent your son. And Lord, we come to you tonight, Lord, with eyes fixed on you and hearts ready to surrender. Or at least I know I do, Lord. And I just want to ask that you'd meet us in this space, Father. God, that you would bring to surface the realities and the depths of our lives, Lord, that are away and apart from you. Lord, that they would not just be these little secrets that we keep to ourselves, but, but that darkness would begin to be exposed to light tonight. But God, not just for an experience at camp, not just so we can say that we did the Indian Springs thing, but Lord, so that our eternity can be changed forever. And so that we can become people that go for you and participate in what you're calling us to the ends of the earth. But Lord, we know that starts with our surrender first. And so God, tonight you, you have our yes. And we just ask one simple question. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord, it's for your glory for our joy and for Christ's sake that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, what is up, guys? My name is Britton. Um, I know you guys have had Paul. I'm like the Walmart version of that. So Paul Epperson is like Costco, Sam's Club. I'm Walmart, great value, okay? But I'm here, and I'm excited to hang out with you guys. Just a little insight to, to Paul and I's relationship. When I was 20-something years old, I, I was new to the faith. I didn't really know much about Scripture or the Bible, but I knew that I kind of wanted to follow Jesus. And that word kind of really matters in that statement. I wasn't completely sold out to this idea of giving my life to something, but I knew that I was kind of interested and I wanted to see what was going to unfold. And so Paul and I, we went and we sat down at a Chick-fil-A because, you know, right? And for four and a half hours, we sat in that Chick-fil-A and Paul taught me everything he knew about one book in the Bible. But what I learned that day and what I saw that day, it wasn't just information from the book. It was the heart of a father for his children. And Paul, in the way he loved me in that moment, pointed me to Jesus and said, this is a reality of who I am and who you can be with me. And so I say that as, guys, I am privileged to get to come up here and be a part of this, to get to be a part of the family reunion that is Indian Springs, right? Because everyone here knows each other but me, and there's secret language for everything, but we'll figure it out, and we're going to go drink, what are they, ale? Yeah, we're going to do that tonight, right? It's going to be a good time, sugar, caffeine. I don't know why I'm not sleeping that good at camp, Mom, right? I just chugged three ginger ale sprites before I went to bed. But, hey, the suffering is the glory, right? So we're just doing the thing. But we're here. So we're going to jump into the, the book of Colossians tonight. And, and Paul, this morning, he presented to us a very simple, clear, needed message. And it was the realities of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. And I hope that as you guys went to your small groups, and I understand some of you guys in here obviously weren't here for that. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, Indian Springs Holiness Camp. If you register early for next year, you get a discount. I don't know if that's true or not. I just made that up. Um, but no, we're glad you guys are here with us. But to those that were here, Paul, this morning unpacked the gospel in a really beautiful and clear and simple way for all of us to understand. And he talked about the reality of our sin and the separation that comes when we're living in that and how that Christ had to die for us to be able to be reconciled. And he unpacked the whole gospel to us, right? 
And so today we're going to jump into the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at what, what do we do now. Now that we've known and we see the truth of the gospel and we've been shown the reality of our sin, we know that there is new life, we know that there is hope out there for us, what do we do? Because I imagine in a group like this, I could probably just make this an open mic. And some of you guys could come up here and you could tell me, well, this is what you do now when you're faced with the reality of your sin. And you do that and you check, 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 check. And that's what we do, right? Because we're used to the gospel, because we know the answers to the test, because we know where our Bible is and we dust it off every now and then. But I want to challenge you with something new tonight. I want to challenge you with something that will change your life completely. And it's something that isn't just this idea of, well, I'm here, aren't I? But it's something that is a, a full heart surrender to Christ through his gospel. And it's something that will change not just your life, but lives around you. So we're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, page 1044 in my Bible. So if that helps you, cool. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so Paul is writing this letter and he's kind of beginning this process and he's reminding this church, he's saying, listen, your lives have now been changed. Remember that, that because you have been raised with Christ, you need to be seeking the things above. We need to be seeking the things above. If you have been raised with Christ, if that gospel that we talked about this morning is a reality in your life, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you have trusted him for salvation, if you have been raised with Christ... You need to seek the things above. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? No, like really, what are you seeking? Because I know in this setting, and we'll do small groups, and we'll go back to the cabin, and we know the right answers for the next 10 days. I know what to say when I'm at, at, at the camp meeting. I know every box I need to check to make sure everybody knows that even when I'm, not, when I'm away from here, everything's all right. Because I've done this enough. I'm used to this. My family's been coming since 1867, right? And I can check the boxes, bro. So this is the things I'm seeking. But really, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? Outside of here in your thoughts, what are you seeking? If you're, if you're wondering, I don't really know. What are you anxious about? What are you worried about? What are the things that, that take up your time when you find yourself laying at bed at night and nobody else is around and it finally quiets down for the day and it's just you and your thoughts? What are you consumed by? Is it the world? Is it approval? What are you seeking? What are you seeking? What is your life trajectory leading towards? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if you have been raised with Christ, there is only one option. It is to seek him and his kingdom. It's to seek his glory. It's to live his way, his truth, his life. If you have been raised with Christ, here it is, you've died to yourself. It's no longer you who lives, but it's Christ who lives in you. And there is a radical life change that comes out of that. 
It's not halfway. It's not hesitant. It's not something that you can just turn off and turn on. It is real. It is radical. And it becomes who you are. And so if you've truly been raised with Christ, if you've truly given him everything, if you have trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection, if you believe the fact that he has ascended into heaven, that he is seated at the right hand of God, a picture of finished work, if you've believed in that, if you've trusted in that, if you've surrendered to that, then you've been raised with Christ. But if you've been raised with Christ, then now you seek the things from above. You seek the things of his kingdom. You seek the things that bring him glory. You don't seek yourself anymore. It's not about the world and the world's desires and your flesh. It's about him. What are you seeking? Parents, what are we seeking? What are we seeking for our students? What is the reality that we're raising them to? What is the standard for life that we're creating for them? Or do our schedules say that Jesus is the number one thing in our family? Is he the first box we put on the calendar? Or do you know sometimes we're just too busy? I'm a youth pastor. I love the local church as well. And let me tell you, one of the things that breaks my heart are students who think they're going to the NBA because their parents take them to every practice and they're five foot eight. Parents, what are you raising your kids for? What are you seeking on their behalf? What are you telling them is of most importance? Show me your family calendar and I'll tell you what your family's seeking. What are you seeking? As an individual, as a family, what are you seeking? Because this is true discipleship. It's a heart set on Christ first. It's a heart set on Christ first. So many of us, Jesus is something we just sprinkle on to finish it. He's the thing that if we have enough time, we'll fit it in. Can I tell you a harsh reality? And this is with love in my heart. Jesus didn't die to be a part of your life. Jesus did not die to be a part of your life. He died to be everything. And if the Holy Spirit left your life, how long would it take you to notice? If the power of God left your life, how long would it take you to notice? Is he truly everything? Are you truly seeking the things that are above? Are you dying to yourself? Are you dying to yourself? Are you constantly faced with the tensions of am I going to choose happy or am I going to choose joy? Am I going to chase happy or am I going to choose joy? And are you willing to die to yourself daily? Because let me tell you something. If you're going to be somebody that's been raised with Christ, if you're going to be somebody that seeks the things above, there is going to be a process of saying no to yourself. It will not be easy. It won't be easy. Are you willing to die to yourself? Because we live in a world that tells you your best life is available to you. You just have to find it. You just have to take it. You just have to make decisions that center yourself to your desires and, and your truths and your promises. And if you can figure those out at 13, then you can have your best life now. And if you just know all those right answers, your best life is available for you today. You just have to take hold of it. 
Let me tell you the truth of the scriptures, the truth of the gospel. Your best life is found hidden in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where your best life is. So don't believe the lie of the world that you can create and manifest your best life today through decisions, following, approval, relationships. The only way to your best life is in surrendering to the person of Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the gospel, and that's what Paul is continuing to unpack here. And he says, your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, this is more than just an experience. It's an eternal thing. That when we seek the things above, when our life is hidden in Christ, when we surrender everything to him, there is an eternal glory that is coming. There's an eternal glory that's coming. And then he continues. I, I love this. Y'all better buckle up. You thought I was yelling before. Here we go. Verse 5. Therefore. All right, pause. When we see a therefore in Scripture, what do we need to do? Find out what it's there for. Okay? So therefore, that tells me that every word that is coming after this word is referencing the words before this word. So because I've been raised with Christ, because I'm seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, because I'm setting my mind on things on uh, things above and not on earthly things, that because my life is hidden in Christ, therefore, because of that, Paul is making an assumption here that you've figured out the first four verses. So if you're fully surrendered, have said yes to Jesus, or a disciple of Christ, and your life is hidden in him, therefore, this is what you need to do. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is adultery. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. We need to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, if you want to be someone who has surrendered, who says, you know what, I am a follower of Jesus, we need to be actively killing the sin that is in our life. We need to be actively killing the sin that is in our life. We, not, we need not to align our lives with our sin or not just clean up the sins that everybody else can see, but keep the little secret pet sins that only affect me and my future and my reality. Well, they're not hurting anybody else. It's just me. No, we need to be killing sin, or sin will be killing us. And Paul's saying, if you've been raised with Christ, if your life is hidden in him, this is what you do now. It's a radical life change, guys. It's a radical life change. It's not one of complacency. It's a radical life change. It's a denying of self and a saying yes to him. So if you're sitting here and you want to be a Christian, but you're actively living in sin, you're actively surrendering to sin, you need to check who you're actually wanting to live for. Because the true mark of a disciple is someone who's killing sin, who's putting to death sin, who's putting to death things that are earthly in them. And Paul goes into it. Understand something. This, this isn't Britain writing this book, this is Paul, 2,000-something years ago, 
saying the exact same thing we need to hear today, and you're believing the lie that the Bible isn't relevant truth for you now. Paul wrote this 2,000-something years ago, something like that. Don't check my math, all right? And he's talking to this church, and he's saying, these are the things you need to put to death. These are the things that are going to consume you. These are the things that are going to pull you away from Christ. These are the things that are going to take you out of a life hidden in Christ. These are the things. These are the things that the enemy is going to use to control you. These are the things that the enemy is going to use to distract you away from the fullness of what God has for you. And he says it's sexual impurity, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, sound familiar? And guys, I know that it's awkward because it's like night one of camp. I'm up here yelling at you, and you're like, what is this guy on about? But if Netflix is going to teach you about these things, I'm sorry. I'm going to take time at church camp to teach you about the reality of sexual sin. I'm going to take time to teach you the truth of who Christ is, what he's called us to, and his good, perfect design for those things in your life. Because the world is telling you something completely different. The world is telling you that it's just about your pleasure, your joy, your completeness, and it's leading you to death. And Paul is saying you need to put to death these things. Guys, these are things that are sacred in marriage for a man and for a woman together in marriage. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Scripture is clear. That is the truth of scripture. And guys, let me teach you something right now. Truth can only be truth if truth doesn't change. So if you've got a truth and I've got a truth, one of us doesn't have truth if they don't align, right? We can't both be right. Truth is truth is truth is truth and truth does not change. And I have aligned my life. I have believed that the scriptures are the truth of the, that this is the truth. This is the reality of life. And I can't make you go there, but I can tell you that for 2,000-some years, people have been trying to get rid of them, and they're still here, they're still powerful, they're still authority, they're still relevant, and they're still the guide. And so if you've built your life on a truth or a desire that is continually changing, that is continually progressing, what are you building your life on? When I was seven years old, I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle so bad. It's all I ever wanted, all right? I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the Ninja Turtles y'all got. I'm talking about the creepy live-action ones with vanilla ice. You old, yeah, where are we at? 1995, 96ers. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Creepy dudes in costumes, like not cool at all. But I was like, that's what I want to be. Never pay full price for late pizza. That was like my life's truth right there, all right? I wanted to be a Ninja Turtle so bad. And like when I went to the playground, my, my life's goal was I got to figure out Ninja Turtle stuff. And I quickly realized the only thing me and the Ninja Turtles have in common is our love for pizza. And so I committed, all right? But at 9, 10, 11, 27, it's not really a reality anymore. That's not really a desire that I can align my life with. Well, it is, but we've seen that guy before, right? So align your life and your desires with something that will never change. Because here's the truth, guys. If you're 13, 14 in this room or you're 78, the power and the call of the gospel on your life does not change. It is true for you right now as a youth as much as it is for you someday when you're sitting up there with your back hurting, all right? 
The gospel call doesn't change on your life. And so Paul is saying we need to put to death these things that we're surrendering our lives to. We're shaping our desires and our whole beings around these things. And I don't have to go into detail, but some of you guys, you know you're consumed by it. Your desire to be approved of by the opposite sex or the same sex, your desire to figure out where you align and, and what you identify with is consuming you. And when I ask the question, what are you seeking, if you were to be honest with yourself and your heart of hearts, you know that those are at the root of what you're seeking. And Paul is saying, if you want to hide your life in Christ, if you want to have a life that glorifies him, you need to put these things to death. You need to stop aligning yourself with these things. But what Paul isn't saying, don't miss this, guys, is shame on you if you've ever made a mistake. There is no shame in this game. There is no shame in this. And I understand the reality that there are some people in here that have given in to sin, that have given in to the temptations of the flesh, and the enemy wants you to believe that you're stuck there. The enemy wants you to believe that that is your reality from here on out and that you can never change and that nothing will ever be better and that if they knew that about you, they'd cast you out of this camp and you'd never be welcome there again and you're the only one that's been through it. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. And some of you, I'm speaking right to you right now and you know it. But understand something, there is no shame in Christ. He did not come to condemn but he came that we may have life and life to the fullest. And so what Paul is saying, or he's saying you need to put these things to death because there is new life for you, and it's a good life, and it's a life hidden in Christ, and you don't need to be ashamed of who you were, but you can't stay there. You can't stay there because you need to either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. I remember I was 20-something years old, living in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. And I was finally finding myself kind of at the end of my rope. I played college football, and it went pretty well for a while. But at the end of my career, I had a bad shoulder injury, and my season was completely over. My life, everything I'd given myself to at that point, my whole identity, the whole of who I was, everything up to this point, Legitimately everything stayed in that locker room when I left. And I'll never forget this night. I'm sitting on the edge of my bed in Victoria, Kansas, middle of nowhere. And I'm faced with the reality of I have no idea who I am. My whole life up to this point has been a lie. Because I've put on the front I've done what I needed to do to make sure that people would approve of me. But at the end of the day, when I looked in the mirror, I didn't know who was looking back. I was completely lost. I was completely broken. And I was completely dead. And I didn't even know it. I didn't know it. It was a couple days later, I was walking through the campus of the college I was at. And this girl came running up. And she was like Natalie Scythe, who was standing up here doing the power squats with Paul is incredible. About Natalie's side, and she comes running up to me, and you guys ever meet somebody that's like way too excited to be awake? You guys know people like that, right? That was her, okay? 
So I just got done with like 8 a.m. English or whatever, and I'm walking through, and I had like the international sign for don't talk to me, which is hood up, headphones in. And she comes up, and she like taps me on the shoulder, and she's so excited just to be awake. She's like, hey, you're Britain, right? I'm like, unfortunately. Uh, hi, how are you? She goes, hey, my name's Erica. And I was like, okay. And she goes, well, my boyfriend, his name's Trey. And then I, it clicked. I remember Trey. Trey and I played football together. Trey and I partied together. Trey and I did a lot of things that we should have never done together. But I didn't see Trey for like a year and a half. And I heard that Trey started going to this church thing. And it was like, whatever, cool. Because I grew up in the church, and I'm from the Bible Belt. And I understand that there are people that go to church, but at the end of the day, their life looks exactly like mine when they're not there. So what does church really matter? She's like, hey, there's, there's going to be a, a thing tonight at our college ministry if you want to come. And I was like, pass. I'm good. I'm super busy, like homework, all that stuff, which was not true, all right? Um, not because it wasn't homework, but because I wasn't going to do it, um, which I do not condone. Do your homework. Go to school, all right? But she's like, hey, well, but there's going to be a free dinner. I was like, oh, what are we talking? What are we talking? She's like, well, I think it's like a steak dinner or something like that. And I'm like, I'm in. What time do I need to be there? Can I come early? And do I need to bring a fork? All right? So I go to this college ministry thing, and I show up, and I, like, park my truck. And I'm just, like, looking out the window, like, scoping out what I'm about to walk into. And they were doing the thing. Do you guys know the thing? The thing that, like, churches do to make new people so uncomfortable. Like, the thing. The thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? And the other person on the other side, and they're doing the thing. And they're like, welcome to church. You're new. Run through our tunnel of encouragement. And you're like, I'm, I'm really not feeling the thing right now. So I, like, get up there, and I, like, do the shuffle. I'm like, all right, cool. What's up? What's up? Where's the dinner? And I get through it, and I make my way down the hallway. And this is a big college ministry, so I'm like, all right, cool. There's, like, 500 students here. I'm going to make my way back here, get my plate, eat, say what's up to Erica and Trey, and I'm out. So I go in, I'm standing in line, it's a long line. Finally, we get to the front of this line, and I turn to grab my food, and it was a hamburger steak. And at that point, I knew that I had been duped, and I needed to pull the chute and get out as quickly as possible. But then it was in that moment, Trey came up, and he's like, Bishop, bro, what's up? How are you, man? I haven't seen you in forever. And I'm like, hey, man, <laughs> so happy to be here. He's like, hey, just so you know, we saved you a seat with us, but I made sure it's in the back row. And I was like, oh, bro was intentional. Like, he, he had my back on this one. So I went. But I skipped the worship thing, not because I don't love it now, but at that point, no offense, okay, no offense. But I went in, I sat in the back row, and I remember I just sat there on my phone, legit, the whole service, checking fantasy football, whatever, just doing the thing, like scrolling through my phone. And at the very end, the guy who was preaching, he stood up, and he said a statement, and I've talked to him since then, and he said, you know, usually I don't even make that statement, and at the very end, he said, some of you in here, you don't even know who you are anymore. You're completely lost in the lie of who you think you are and who you think other people want you to be, and Jesus is here tonight to offer you something new. 
to offer you something complete, to offer you something that can never be taken away. And I remember my attention was pulled immediately. And he said, and if that's something you want, I just want you to get on your face right now. And y'all, I'm not one for getting on his face in random public spaces, all right? But there was something in that moment, and there was a reality and a weight that everything I'd done before that moment had led nowhere. Every decision I'd made, every choice I'd made, every practice I'd gone to, the girls that I dated, the friends that I had, the family that I had, all of it led to nothing. And I was faced with the reality that that was going to be the rest of my life if I didn't find something new. And so I got on my face. And it was a long process. And I remember I started meeting with this guy, um, and we became friends, and he began to disciple me. But it wasn't until a year in that I realized that it was more than just getting on your face. It was a whole entire heart change. It was more than just knowing the things to say, showing up on time, knowing where your Bible is and checking the boxes. It was a lifestyle that was completely aligned with Christ and his design. It was somebody who was actively killing sin. Because for that year up to that point, I was a Christian. I did the things. I showed up to church. I had my Bible. I even bought a study one with the notes in the bottom. And I knew all the right answers. I bought jeans that showed off my ankles. I was full on Christian, all right? I don't know if that's actually true if that last part is. But I thought it was at that point, okay? So, but I was in it. I was in the culture. I knew the answers. I knew the clothes. I knew what to say, what to do, when to do it, when to say it. Sit down, stand up, hands up, hands here. We're praying. Close them. Eyes. Doing the whole, I knew what to do. I knew how to go through the motions. But at the end of the day, in that same spot on my bed, nothing really changed. Except for I found another place to put a false identity. And it was, I'll just do the stuff. But it wasn't until I surrendered absolutely everything. It wasn't until I began actively putting to death the sin and the fleshly desires and fully denying myself and resetting myself back to God's will that I discovered the truth of the gospel. That he didn't just die for someday. He died for right now. That his power and his presence was available. I just had to surrender to it. And it was a process of me denying myself and resetting back to his will daily. Paul continues down a little ways. And he talked about putting to, putting to death all of these sins. And he says, and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. There's a promise in this, guys, that if you are willing to put to death the, the things of your life that are not of Christ, that he will renew you, that he will restore you, that he will provide you with a new life, a new way. It's simply surrendering. Because out of death comes life, out of dark comes light. Will you surrender to it? So this just leads to the question, what's keeping you from your best life? 
What's keeping you from your best life? Is there a sin in your life that is keeping you from the fullness of what Christ has for you? Is there an idol in your life that's keeping you from the fullness of what Christ has for you? An idol, simply said, is something you put before God. For some of you, it's a game. For some of you, it's an activity. For some of you, it's a grade. But these are things that you're putting before God. Is there a sin or an idol in your life that's keeping you from the fullness of what God has for you? So what we're going to do now is I'm going to ask you guys to enter back in just to that first place we were. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there something in your life that's keeping you from the fullness of what Christ has for you, that's keeping you from experiencing the power and the glory and the presence of him every day right where you're at? Is there sin in your life you need to be putting to death? Is there something in your life you're putting above God? Is there an idol in your life that you're worshiping more than you're worshiping Christ? And if there is, I'm going to ask you to do something. And understand something. I'm not asking you to do this so that we can take count and make sure everybody knows that we preached good. I'll make you a promise. I won't count. Because at the end of the day, that's not what matters. If there's one in this room, if there's one person that would say, you know what? There are some things in my life. There is some sin in my life. There are places and decisions and choices that I'm making that are keeping me from a full life with Christ. There are idols in my life. There are things that, that I am putting above God. And at the end of the day, if it came down to it, I would say that that's my identity before Christ. And if you're here tonight, and you want to say, you know what? I'm done living for the world. I'm done living for my flesh. I'm done living for my desires. And I want to give my life to something that is consistent. I want to give my life to something that is true. I want to give my life to something that is finished. I want to give my life to the gospel. I want to surrender sin. I want to trust in Christ's redeeming work. I want to claim victory over the shame that the enemy is trying to hold me in, that I'll never be enough, that because I made that choice, Jesus could never love you. And I want to tell you that Christ died to save sinners. He didn't come to make sure you were clean enough and then make you clean. No, he sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in the wreckage of your sin, and he says, I want you. Will you say yes? Will you surrender it all? I believe there are some people tonight 
that are living a life outside of Christ's design, that are living and stuck in sin, and that tonight could be the night you begin the process of saying, you know what, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to reset myself back to God's will, and I'm going to trust that the gospel is enough, even for me. Because that's the lie the enemy's trying to convince you of. Yeah, that gospel thing, that's good for everybody else, but it'll never be enough for you because I know what you did. You know what you did. Keep it a secret. Keep it in the dark. If they know, they'll never accept you, and that's not true. I know there are counselors here. There are your parents, some of you are here. Paul and I, the band, the staff. There are people here that want you to know the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who you are when you surrender your life to him. That he came to restore you. He came to give you new life. He came that you could be holy and blameless. He came so that you could be complete, that you could live your best life found in a life hidden in him. So don't wait. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. If there's something in your life you need to surrender, if there's something, if there's a specific sin in your life that you would say, you know what, I want to confess it. I'd ask first that you'd stand up and you'd come up front. And yeah, it's gross and nasty that you'd get on your face. And that you'd confess to the Father, that you'd say, Lord, this is the life I've been living outside of you. And tonight's the night. But I'd ask if you are living in a sin, if there's a sin that you haven't put to death, don't wait. The altar's gonna be open. If there's an idol in your life that you need to surrender, if there's anything in your life that's keeping you from the new life that Christ has offered you, don't wait, don't hesitate. I'm gonna pray and the altar's gonna be open. But I'd ask, we don't come up here unless we're coming to respond, okay? Let's leave room for those people. If not, if you're here and you're saying, you know what, I have been sold out for Jesus. I've been living my life on fire for him. I'd ask that you'd sit there and you'd pray like you've never prayed before for the next generation of believers that are going to say yes to Jesus. Because guys, listen up. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take every single one of us saying yes to Jesus. He didn't die so you'd live in the lie. He died so that you could know the truth and the reality of who he is, that there's a new way, that there's a new life. All you have to do is say yes to him. Don't wait. Don't hesitate.